Oh, yeah. Here we go. I'm going to take a sip of my coffee real fast. Hold on. Okay, welcome. How are you? My name is John. I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with that education. But you are walking in right now on part two of the book of how. And a few summers ago, I found out that the name or the word for lamentations is actually the word how for the Old Testament. So the Old Testament book, this weird and wild and tragic and brutal book of poetry known as Lamentations should actually be titled How. That's amazing. And I thought it would be a perfect time uh, in this season of life, right, to be asking the question of how, or at least understanding how to pray how, if that makes sense. So thank you for checking this out. Again, uh, this is part two. This time, we're going to call this one The Book of How, Part 2, Anger, because when we lament, uh, a lamentation, a lament, it's got like a few different shades of emotion to it, and uh, this time it's all about anger and how there's such a thing as an angry lament. Last time was a, a mournful lament or shamed lament. This is an angry lament, and this is going to be fantastic. Uh, So let's dive right in. I have a few comments to make up front. We're going to read through the whole chapter of Lamentations 2, answer a few questions, and then we're going to wrap it up with a benediction. So that's that's the plan. So make yourself comfortable, get out a piece of paper, make some notes, whatever you would like, but let's get this jam started. All right. So, once again, my name is John. Thank you for checking this out. The Old Testament has got a a strange, it's a strange collection of books. And some of them are historical, they're narratives. Some of it's poetry, some of it's from the prophets. But you know what? Uh, There's this beautiful section that's, Wisdom literature and wisdom literature, it's not a genre that we have today in the same sense as it used to be. Wisdom literature and and some of these odd forms of poetry and ancient books, we just don't do them anymore. And they're just fascinating because they're brutal and they're beautiful at the same time. But we need to always say this. This is an ancient book. And we think it was written around the year 586 BC, BCE, okay? And we've got to answer up front the question, why should we bother reading a book that's 2,600 years old? Great question, right? Well, the scriptures are a mix of two things. They are timely and they are timeless, They are timely because they were written for a specific time and people, place, and problem. But there's always something timeless, something that transcends the original people, places, problems that first gave the context of why this book was written. 
So we're going to dive into part of that. We're going to ask that question at the end. What is timely and what is timeless about this book that's 2,600-ish years old? Um, but this week, I was surprised because N.T. Wright, who's a, a famous church historian, and he's a theologian that lives over in England, or maybe he's in Scotland now. He used to teach, or currently teaches, at St. Andrews. I think he might have been the chair of New Testament studies there. Anyway, Anyways, he wrote this one article that kind of went uh, pseudo-viral, I guess. And he says this, that right now we have to learn how to lament. I was like, oh my goodness, this is perfect timing. In fact, a buddy Dave said, hey, how about this? You're doing this series at the same time that N.T. Wright says this. So I'd like to read to you two paragraphs that I thought were just fantastic from what he said. All right. It goes like this. This is from N.T. Wright. The point of lament woven thus into the fabric of the biblical tradition is not just that it's an outlet for our, our frustration, sorrow, loneliness, and sheer inability to understand what is happening or why. The mystery of the biblical story is that God also laments. Some Christians like to think of God as above all that, knowing everything, in charge of everything, calm and unaffected by the troubles in this world. And that's not the picture we get in the Bible. Second paragraph. It is no part of the Christian vocation, then, to be able to explain what's happening and why. Hmm. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments with us, so we become, even in our own self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, new hope. And that's just, well, I, I pulled out those two paragraphs from this larger article because I wanted to make sure that we say lament is central to a spiritual tradition. If you want to have any form or semblance of a healthy spirituality, you have to have space. You have to give room. You have to give voice to lament. And he even goes so far as to say that it's not even the Christian vocation to explain things in life. Although since the Enlightenment, we love to be able to explain things. It's a part of our scientific hubris that all things can be explained. but ancient wisdom from spiritual tradition explanation isn't always a necessity what is the necessity is giving voice to the lament in the first and last place anyways so that was an incredible affirmation you could say that N.T. Wright and I probably if we were sitting in the same room we would both agree that right now, in this season of life around the world, 
lamenting is an important thing to learn how to do and to learn how to do it well with integrity. So I wrote down here a few notes before we read chapter two. Lament is not comfortable. And that might be why we prefer to try to explain things away. That we think that if we can explain things, then we don't have to experience them. But that's actually, that's not a part of it. That in order to get over something, you have to learn how to express it and experience it and go through it or let it wash over you. To explain things does not excuse you or exempt you from experiencing it. And this, this episode is all about how anger, we could try to explain why we're angry, but somehow having the explanation of why we're angry in our lament or grief, it doesn't do anything to help us get through the process. In fact, Sometimes what we need to do is just stop explaining and just experience. But maybe we're terrified of that because we think it's going to be overwhelming, and I tend to do that. I tend to sometimes um, rush to explaining things rather than experiencing them. And so I have to learn how to sit in the experience of it better. (laughs) Yeah. But lament isn't comfortable, not at all. And because of that, it's not often taught in our spiritual communities, in our faith communities. And if it is, then sometimes lament is spoken of in a way that has no depth by someone that hasn't really experienced their own angry lament themselves. And, and sometimes when you have someone speak about lament that hasn't really done it for themselves, it's almost like it's black and white and 2D. But then when you listen to someone who has uh, experienced their own lament with integrity, it's almost as though it's in color and it's 3D and it's got smell because they actually embody it and they've lived through it. And that's just marvelous. But But lament, uh, it's not quite like a space. I'm not sure if we should think of it as a room that you go into, you know, like a room in your house that you should just avoid or that you sit in it too long. No, because that's, that's compartmentalizing it. That's putting the lament, the angry lament, to a room, to a space that you can lock up and never engage, and then you, you have a whole part of your house that you lose out on. But maybe uh, lament is more like um, an atmosphere. Maybe it's more of a, a scent that enters the house. It's, it's a, like a breeze, or maybe not breeze. That sounds too positive. It's, it's a smell. Let's say smell. Let's go with that for now. It can be like a smell that fills a whole house. And because you can't compartmentalize, you can't keep like the scent of a, a nice candle in one part of a room, in one part of the house, without it spreading to everywhere. And lament has the ability to fill the whole space of our life. And when we live in denial, and we try to compartmentalize it to one side room, 
It, that's just not possible anyway, so why bother trying? It's best just to admit that, you know what, this house today, maybe for a week, is going to have the lingering scent of lament for a bit. And that's okay, because it's in the atmosphere. It's just a part of it all, so there's no need to fight it. You just need to acknowledge it and give it time. Because it's already everywhere in your house, so why not? By the way, the house is it's an analogy for your soul right there. <laughs> okay, but the book of How, the book of Lamentations, is all about acknowledging lament deeply and honestly. And I said that there's five chapters, and we think that it's five different authors all writing about the same event from multiple angles. So, chapter two is about anger, and sometimes angry lament takes the form of, well, being angry because things don't always go the way that we believe that they should. And in that gap, we find ourselves very angry because we feel like we were sold something and we were given something else. It's almost like there was a bad transaction somewhere. Well... Let's go into chapter two. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and it, it might be awkward. Pay attention for a verse or a phrase that makes you uncomfortable, but then we're going to break it down and then finish with a benediction. All right, let me grab it. So this is it from Lamentations chapter two. Here we go. How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from the heaven to the earth. Has he, he has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned like Jacob in a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. It's like the inversion of the burning bush right there, huh? It does consume. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready. Like a foe, he has slain all who were pleasing to the eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire on the tent of daughter Zion. The Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for daughter Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed festivals and her Sabbaths. In, her, in his fierce anger, he has spurned both king and priest. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He has given the walls of her palaces into the hands of the enemy. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of the appointed festival. Oof. That's a terrible day to smash down. 
The Lord determined to tear down the wall around daughter Zion. He stretched out his measuring line, and he did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. The elders of daughter Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, Where is bread and wine? They faint like the wounded in the streets of a city as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say for you? What, with what can I compare you, daughter Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, virgin daughter Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. All who pass your way clap their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at daughter Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? All your enemies open their mouths wide against you. They scoff and gnash their teeth and say, we have swallowed her up. This is the day we have waited for. We have lived to see it. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has left. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord, you walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. My young men and young women have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. As you summoned to a feast day, so you summoned me terrors on every side. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Those I cared for and reared, my enemy has destroyed. Oh my gosh, that is dark. Okay, well the first part, a good chunk of this chapter has actually God being angry and just systematically dismantling the favorite city, Jerusalem. So clearly the poet here has the experience that the divine is just furious and dismantling everything around them. But then the end of the chapter kind of makes it sound as though, how dare you? It's almost as though the first part of this chapter is just simply 
recounting the experience that it seems as though the divine is the angry enemy. But really, it's almost like it's a an accusation, the whole chapter, because it finishes with saying how pretty much, verse 20, look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? That this is the person laying an argument against God and saying, how dare you? <laughs> and maybe that's a part of lament, right? Lament is actually an angry consultation or an angry accusation that says, this is too far. This is too much. This has gone beyond what was promised or what should happen. Man. Okay, I'm going to take a sip. Hold on. Okay, so what's timely here? Well, this is timely because it was written for a particular people, place, problem. These people were listening to the wrong prophets who didn't steer them right, and so they went wrong, and so God got angry and smashed the favorite city of God. So that's the people and the problem and the place. But here, the poet, the author, is almost saying this has gone too far. This is just too much. This is beyond what should actually be happening. And there's, there's an element of angry lament that definitely does that. That when something has been stripped away, even when it's our own fault, I guess, we can't help it. It's a part of it. It's a, we have to lament with anger, right? But what's timeless about this? Um, well, what's, I guess one thing that's timeless about this is every generation probably has to take it up with God, their anger and their fury and their lament. And probably every generation needs to realize that to be angry is, especially against God, the divine, the, the ordained organizing principle of all things, we all have got to learn that to be angry and lament with God is actually an incredibly faithful, not faithless thing to do. Because every generation probably has to realize that God is the thing behind the thing behind the thing behind the thing. God is the, the ultimate question behind all issues and topics and people and problems. So why not learn that? Okay, so that's what's timely. That's what's timeless. But what is the good news of this chapter? <laughs> Well, it seems like there isn't any because God smashes the favorite city, Jerusalem, because they're being defiant and not listening to the right prophets and instead listening to people who tell them that they're doing everything fine and no destruction's coming. Right. Okay. And it doesn't even finish on a hopeful note. It finishes with the author saying, how dare you, God? Mothers who are supposed to take care of their children are now eating their children. It's like a sick 
inversion of what a nurturing mother should do. Well, I guess the good news is that angry lament is already in the tradition. That angry lament has been a part of the spiritual path for 2,600 years or more. That maybe we think, maybe the good news in this is that we have been hamstrung when we think that to lament is inherently unspiritual, that to be angry with God is actually a rebellion. It's a, it's a, it's a mark of unfaith or unbelief to be angry. But the good news is that actually to lament and to plead how is actually quite very much at the core and the center of having an honest spirituality. That's some good news, right? That we don't need to feel shame or compound anger by being angry at ourselves or being angry at God because, I don't know, maybe we were taught that spiritual people don't get angry or lament. I think I really, I really find some comfort, and maybe you could too, that it's actually deeply central to the spiritual path to have and to be experiencing deep emotions, especially angry lament. So I, I heard a statistic that says on any given day, we can change 1% or 2% of our mental framework, the way we look at the world. And then on a very, 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 very good day, we can change up to 5% of our worldview. Well, hopefully this has changed your worldview a little bit to recognize that angry lament is actually a faithful prayer, not a faithless prayer. And that this chapter doesn't even resolve it. It just gives voice to it. And maybe we don't need resolution to our angry lament. Maybe what we need to do is just get it out. So let's finish with a benediction. All right. So, may you learn to acknowledge and accept your own angry lament. May you be liberated by pouring it all out, every single drop, to people and to God who will accept it like a prayerful sacrament. Because yes, even angry lament is central and an undeniable part of following the Jesus path or the Jesus journey, however you want to define it. This has been the Book of How, Part 2, Anger. May grace and peace be with you.